Well, Father, we thank you that every good and perfect gift comes from you. How blessed we are, how grateful we are. We're thankful for, um, we're thankful for this rainfall. We really are, because when we go for a while without it, we're mindful of how significant and important it is. We thank you, Lord, for, um, we thank you for health. When we're young, we don't ever think about that. Never crosses our mind. We just get up and go. We stay up late. We just do whatever we want to do. We do stupid things. We abuse our bodies, and uh, the health is there. But we get some miles on the tires, and the decades go by, and we realize health is a precious thing. So we thank you for the health that we enjoy. We thank you for breath. We realize that you tell us in your word that... Uh, um, uh, apart from you, we can't even breathe. Uh, Paul told those, uh, those Greeks on Mars Hill, in him we live and move and exist. Uh, every man gets his breath from you. You sustain us, you give us life, but you keep us going until our appointed time. We thank you not only for health and for life, we thank you for spiritual life because we come into this world broken and we come into this world spiritually dead. We're physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. We are self-centered, we are narcissist, we are not concerned about anyone but ourselves. And we learn as we, uh, as we develop and as we get older to cover that and to, uh, uh, to smooth people and to um, manipulate people and to say the things that need to be said, and we know when to we, we know when to be aggressive and when to back off, but, but ultimately it's all about us and it's about our heart and it's all about getting our way. Really with no interest in you, but then at a certain moment uh, you break into our lives and your spirit does a work and our eyes are opened, which have been blind until that moment, and we see the truth of the gospel. And your spirit does a work within us and brings us to know Christ and realize that he is God and that he is our Savior and that he went to the cross to die for us and to take our sins upon him. And when that strikes us, it stuns us because it's too good to be true. Because most of us have been spending our lives trying to do at least some good works to earn your favor, but that doesn't cut it because you require 100% perfection. So we are, we're finished before we ever start on that one. So we thank you for what Jesus did. We thank you that he not only gives us spiritual life, as he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. But then, but then not only must we be born again, but then, must, then we must start growing. And that's why we are here tonight, is to grow. Because we cannot grow apart from your word. We cannot grow apart from the nourishment of uh, the truth that is uh, the Bible, which is the Biblios, which is the book, which is the only book, which is the book above every book. Every other book submits and kneels before your book. Because it's your word. It's God-breathed. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is in this book. 
Moses said, it is not an idle word for you, it is your life. So we get our vitamins and minerals and our nutrients that sustain us and keep us going. Some of us have gotten weak, some of us have gotten malnourished, some of us have lost heart, and we need a B12 infusion. We, uh, we need nutrition. So feed us tonight. Feed our, our hearts and our minds and our souls and our spirits. For the guys that are out of gas, give them some juice. For the guys that are in despair, turn their perspective and give them hope. For the guys that are just weary, give them strength. We're all in need of you tonight. Yes, we are. We acknowledge it. And so we come with open hands tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my question as we turn tonight to Psalm 142, my, my question is, what was it, what was it about that straw that broke the camel's back? You know what I'm talking about? The straw that broke the camel's back? Uh, was it the only straw on the camel's back? No, we don't have a lot of information on the camel. We don't have a lot of uh, forensic information. There's really nothing on the internet except that the first usage of that was by Charles Dickens. That's all I could find. Uh, in one of his more obscure novels, The Straw That Broke the Camel's Back. So we don't know much about the camel. We don't know much about the circumstance. We know the camel's back was broken. We do know that. But we don't know the amount of weight the camel was carrying. We don't know how much other straw. We don't know if there were other goods on the camel because camels are massive animals of great strength and great endurance and they can go long, long distances on very little water in a uh, climate that would kill most other animals. But there was a particular straw that broke the camel's back. It was one straw. Uh, a piece of straw is not large. A piece of, sm- uh, of, of straw is relatively minuscule. But it had enough weight and it had enough substance to break the camel's back. Why? Well, the camel obviously, with that piece of straw, reached its breaking point. Uh, a Honda Civic can carry only so much weight. Uh, Chevy Suburban can carry more people and can carry more weight. Big uh, tractor trailer that uh, runs from coast to coast carrying goods, they can carry uh, incredible amounts of weight. But even for those big trucks along the interstates are what we call way stations. And they've got to pull over and they got to get on the scales. Why? Because even those big, massive trucks, well, can I say this? Even those big, massive trucks, if they put one too many straws on those big, massive tractor trailers, it'll break that sucker down. 
That's not just true of vehicles, it's true of people. It's true of men. David was a, uh, a strong man. He was a strong leader, man of courage, man of confidence. But uh, in Psalm 142, he records for us a moment in his life when uh, that one straw was put on his shoulders and it flat wore him out. We're doing a study of David's life. In the fall, we were looking at uh, David's, uh, David's life through his friends and his enemies, the people that God used to shape David. What we're doing this time around is that we're looking at David's life through the issues of David's life, the baggage of David's life, the stuff of David's life, the issues of David's life. The issues of David's life are the issues of our lives. David's uh, dead and gone. We're living. He, 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 his struggle is over. His difficulty is over. Uh, ours isn't. If you're a man who's following Christ, um, you're on a hard road. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Most people on the wrong road, going the wrong way, they're headed for the wrong end. Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. But narrow is the gate that leads to life. And few are those who find it. If you're following Christ, you're not on a six-lane interstate. You're on a uh, two-lane, maybe one-lane um, gravel road with not a lot of room on the sides. Ditches, culverts. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. That's the road most people are on. It's the road that uh, most of your co-workers are on. It's the road that most of your buddies from high school are on. So if you go back to your uh, 92nd high school reunion, or you go back to your 20th, or you go back to your 5th high school reunion, doesn't matter. Or just graduation night in high school. Most guys in high school are on the wrong road going the wrong way, aren't they? Then you go to your 20th high school reunion. I, I got an email last week saying we have a high school reunion coming up. I couldn't even count. It took me a minute. I couldn't quite figure how long it was. 67 to what? What is this? 12? That's 22 years. <laughs> it's a little longer than that. That was kind of hard to believe. I remember my dad going to his 50 high my dad going to his 50th high school reunion. I went, 50. My gosh. 50. We're close. I'm close. 45. I'm not going back there to see those old people. Are you kidding me? I don't think I'm going. But if I went, I will tell you this. Most of the guys there are going to be on the wrong road, going the wrong way. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, Jesus said. But narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few are those who find it. In the Christian life, you're always on a narrow road. In the Christian life, you're always going upstream. So the Christian life is a hard life and a difficult life. It's not a real popular life at all. If, um, when you're serious about Christ, there is an enemy who gets serious about you. And so you have trouble and you have difficulty and you have a rough road ahead of you. Doesn't mean that we don't enjoy God's favor and we don't have God's blessings. But it just means that it's a hard road. 
And at certain points along the trail, at certain points along the trail, something's going to happen to you that happened to David. And what that is, is simply this. Uh, your, your heart's going to get overwhelmed. What I want to talk about tonight is a man and his heart. We've talked about a man and his fear. We've talked about a man and his burden. I want to talk tonight about a man and his heart. In Psalm 142, David says this. He says in verse 3, Oh, and by the way, if you look in the, in, the, in the very opening introductory little line, it says David was in the cave. We've talked about this before. There are certain psalms that are cave psalms. That immediately gives us some insight into where this occurred in David's life. Because when David was a young man, after he killed Goliath, shortly thereafter, and he'd been anointed to be the next king of Israel, but Saul was still... Saul's administration was still going. Uh, and Saul got very jealous of David. And if you know the story, Saul lost it. And uh, David had to flee for his life. And for at least 10 years, David was on the run. He was a fugitive. He was living in the caves. He never slept in the same place twice. And uh, Saul pretty much had a thousand guys looking for David all the time. It was a massive manhunt in Israel. David's in the cave. And you know, after a while, that just gets old. It just gets old. After a while, you get fatigued and you get tired and you get worn out. You just get weary. The Bible says don't get weary in well-doing, but sometimes we do. I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. And once again, that's one of those prayers from the gut. That's just not a default prayer. Lord, uh, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. You ever do that? Sure, I mean, yeah. You've got your default prayer, I've got mine. This is not a default prayer. This is uh, desperation. I cry aloud in my voice to the Lord. Uh, I pour out my complaint before him, I declare my trouble before him. Look at verse 3. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. He was overwhelmed. Why was he overwhelmed? Uh, there were one too many straws in his life. He just got tired of carrying the load. And we don't know what the straw was. We don't know what the circumstance was. Was he always overwhelmed? Not always. During this time of his life, was he always on the run? Was he always a fugitive? Was he always uh, looking out over his shoulder all the time? Was he doing that? Yeah. He handled it better on some days than he did at others. But this particular day was a hard day because something had happened that, that put him over the weight limit. So what does he say? He just comes clean. See, this is what I love about the Psalms. He just comes clean. Psalms are very honest. There's no missing around here. You get a glimpse into this guy's heart. You get a glimpse into this guy's life. You get a glimpse into the reality of the Christian life. A lot of people have trouble relating who have grown up in a lot of churches, because in a lot of churches, everything is always fine, everything is always good, everything is always okay. And it's hard in some churches because of the, the, the nature of the people that are there and their philosophy and all that type of thing. They, they're, they're always surface, and they don't ever go deep. Some families are always surface. I remember seeing some chart on about five levels of communication years ago. And the, the first level is, hi, how are you? Nice to see you. And you can do that with anybody. 
But then there's a second level where you go just a tad deeper, and a third level, and then there's a fourth level, and there's a fifth level. And what was interesting, because on the side of that chart, it, it, it uh, was like a funnel. And the point was that the deeper you go in your communication, and the deeper you go in revealing what's really going on in your life, that chart in terms of people, number of people that you relate to at that level, that chart, that, <laughs> that it got narrower and narrower. You can say anything to anybody, hey, good morning, how are you, good to see you, you know. Lord bless you, hallelujah, good to see you. you know, whatever you say on Sunday mornings to people, if you were raised in church. You know, you know the stuff, you know the lingo, you know how to do it. And you can be all screwed up inside and you were vomiting in the, in the bathroom because of stress. But you come out, hey, good, good to see you, yeah, Lord bless you. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Because you can't, you can't give your stuff to everybody, can you? But there needs to be somebody who, can, who, who you can go toe-to-toe with, heart-to-heart, man-to-man, but there won't be many. The deeper you go in communication, the fewer there will be. Uh, and the ones that you go deep with are the ones you can trust. David could trust God. So he just lays it all out. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. Now, here's a clue. I think he was overwhelmed because he couldn't figure out how he was ever going to get out of this whole cave thing. Couldn't see any way out. It had been going on for so long. It was getting worse and worse. The longer you're in something, the longer you're waiting on God, the more discouraging it is. And he felt like his options were closing. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. See, I think there's a hint there because he didn't have a clue what his path was. Where's that verse in Isaiah? It's in Isaiah. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. Don't do that. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my mighty right hand. It's a good verse. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. In the way where I walk, they hid in the trap for me. Man, if I take one wrong step here, I'm dead. You know my path. You don't even know my immediate path. You know my long-term path. Go over to uh, the next psalm. Look at... um, uh, Same concept in 143. Psalm 143. Verse 4. Once again, he's in in a tough situation, and, and he opens up. I love the psalms. I love the Psalms. I have marked the Psalms. I got them marked in yellow. I got them marked in ink. I got notes. And usually about once a month, once every six weeks, I just flip through them. And there are certain ones that come up off the page to me. Those are Psalms that, um, those are Psalms I, I want to remember. Those are, those are verses 
I want to remember. I, I, I don't want to get unfamiliar with them. And, and, and they're always very real, and they're always very practical. They're about real-life stuff. Look at this, verse 4, 143. Uh, Therefore my spirit, here it is again, is overwhelmed within me. Different situation. We don't know really what the situation was here, but once again, he's overwhelmed because from time to time you get overwhelmed. Are you always overwhelmed? No, but some days you are. Some days it's just one too many straws. Some days it's just one too many things. And usually what happens, and we've talked about this many times, usually what happens is that we got our stuff for the day. We got our quotient for the day. We got our stuff we got to handle today, don't we? Every day has its responsibility, every day. Did I tell you that I got a new iPhone? Did I tell you over Christmas? I got this, uh, uh, this Siri uh, iPhone, the four, um, I don't know what it is, but you can talk to it. And it'll talk to you. Where is the nearest In-N-Out burger? There are three In-N-Out burgers within 33 miles of your location. And then they'll come and they'll list them and then you pick one. It's wild. I was going to Chicago. So I said, what is the weather in Chicago? Not good. Don't go. (laughs) Why would you want to go to Chicago? No, we did. I'm just kidding. But it's really a wild thing. And the best thing for me is, and I'll tell you what, what put me over the line was over Christmas in December. I, I forgot four pretty important things that I, had, I, I thought I had written down. I you always do post-it notes, and I slap them around my office and stuff. But I would missed four things. And I would missed a speaking deal. An early morning, Friday morning, uh, early Friday morning breakfast for Chad Hennings and his guys in Grapevine. And I, I had it, and I had this calendar, but my phone didn't sync it with my calendar like it was supposed to, and I missed it. And that was it. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I saw that Siri commercial, so I went in, and I had an upgrade, so I got the sucker. And I'm telling you something. I can, here's what I do. I do this all the time. Uh... Remind me that I'm preaching at Stonebriar on March 11th. Because I don't want to miss that one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or whatever it is. And so you know what it'll do? It'll ding. We'll remind you on Saturday, March 10th, that you're speaking at... And then it dings me that I'm tomorrow morning and I'm supposed to be there. So now in the morning I get this thing, reminder, and I just hit it. It's all there. It, I mean, it's great. And I bought a bunch of them. I'm selling them out of my trunk after the uh, Bible study, if you're interested. I, I, mean, I mean, I'll cut you a deal. How did I get into that? Uh, I, I got stressed. I had so much stuff I was trying to do, I couldn't handle it all. Here's what I think. He says here, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. We have our daily stuff. Now I know where I was going. We have our daily stuff. We got our stuff on our list. We got to get that done. So each day, we have a quotient of responsibility and work, and you've got to check it off. You've got to get it done that day. Usually when our spirit starts getting overwhelmed is when we start getting out past that day. And when I say that, 
Not that we're not aware of what we have to do, but that we begin to obsess over what we have to do. This is what Jesus was talking about when he says each day has enough trouble of its own. And what happens, all this stuff starts stacking up. When a man uh, becomes a man, he's responsible. When, when a man shifts from boyhood to manhood, he initiates, he takes on responsibility, he takes leadership when he's the appropriate one to do so. He's, he's not passive, but he steps up, he does what needs to be done. He's not looking for credit, he's not looking for the limelight, he's not looking for the spotlight. He begins to live his life, he's more stable, he's more predictable, uh, more serious about his responsibilities. He's mindful that his decisions today have long-term consequences. That's what it means to be a man. Um, a man is to provide. If a man doesn't provide for his own, the Bible says he's worse than an unbeliever. Provision. Provision means to see ahead. And a lot of times when we see ahead, uh, you work because you've got to feed a family not only today, but next week and in six months and write tuition checks and all that stuff. Okay, you've got all that stuff on you. You've got to look ahead. But if you try to carry all that and figure that all out in one day, it'll crush you. You can't, it will happen. See, that's the straw that'll break your back. You're mindful of it. You're trusting the Lord to be there for you. You handle your stuff today. That's a good way to get overwhelmed, is to try, start trying to figure it all out. Six, nine, 12 weeks. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my grandkids. Where the heck is this country going? Good question. So may I say this to you? Spend as much time praying for your kids and grandkids as you do worrying. You can't worship and worry at the same time. When you begin to worry about their future, just take them right to the throne. Just pray for them. Say, Lord, I pray for them now. They may have no interest in you, but I pray that you'll come into their life and invade their life at the right time and make them serious about you. Forgive their sin. Open their eyes. Guide their steps. Prepare them. Give them what they need to face what they're going to be facing with their kids. That's provision. You're looking out ahead. If you don't pray and you just worry, you're going to get overwhelmed and you're going to have a heck of a time sleeping at night. Um, i got to move. Therefore, now, I want you to watch this in 143. He said, therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. Next line. My heart is appalled within me. Now, this guy is overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed and he's appalled at what he's facing. Look at verse 7. Answer me quickly, Lord, for my spirit fails. He's going down. He's getting crushed. He can't handle the weight of all this stuff. All right, and then go down to uh, uh, 10. Teach me to do your will. You are my God. Let your good spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, lead me on level ground. Level me out. Level me out. I, I'm all over the map. I got these mood swings. I'm up here, I'm down here, I'm up, I'm down, I'm discouraged, I'm... Lead me on level ground. H how do you level the ground? Um, 
You know how you level the ground in your life? You start with, uh, you start with the sovereignty of God. That's how you level the ground in your life, the ups and downs. You start with God. You don't start with yourself. You don't start with your problems. You start with who God is. That's, that's how you find level ground. You start with the fact that God is sovereign. You start with the fact that God is in control of all things. God's in control of a plague of locusts. And God's in control of a, uh, of a little mosquito that I saw in our bedroom hall the other night. And I thought, how did he get in there? He's in control of all of it. That's what the scripture teaches. Good, bad, friend, foe, God is in charge of all of it. That's how you get level ground. And, and so the things that we worry about and the things that we stress about and the things that we get concerned about, and then, I, man, I wonder if we're going to go for that deal. I wonder if that committee's going to sign off. You see, and you start thinking about the individuals on that committee, and you're being, oh, that one. Now, you know, most, I think we got three out of four, but that fourth one, he's a tough nut. Now, God controls that guy. Did you know that? This is how you got to think. Because you can spend half a day thinking about that guy and what decision he's going to make and all this. I think I said this last week. How many times in Scripture do you see the phrase, and God put a spirit within them? You see that all the time. There'll be a leader, there'll be a personality, and they're inclined to do this, and God will put a spirit within them, and they'll do the opposite thing. Why? Because God runs human hearts. Humans do what God tells them. Oh, but they, but they have, but they have free will, sort of, sort of. You can't buck God. You can't do it. You just can't do it. Now you're responsible if you want to do it, and usually, but every once in a while, God will just intervene. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs uh, 21.1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. So when you spend too much time obsessing about certain candidates or certain uh, politicians or this and this, just take a step back and say, wait a minute, hold on. God controls that guy. God controls campaigns. God controls elections. God controls, God controls history. So you know what that does? That levels you out. Am I making any sense? Okay. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For the sake of your name, O Lord, revive me. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. Now, I want to show you three words. Okay? You still there? Okay. We started off by talking about, let's go back to 142. He says in 42, he says, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me. What's your spirit? You ever been to a funeral? You see an open casket? You see a body? Is there any spirit? No. Or we'll say, or, or maybe you've been there at the death of a friend or the death of a, of a parent or a grandparent. And suddenly something will happen and there'll be a gasp or something and someone will check the heartbeat and they'll say, they're gone. Well, no, they're right there in the bed. Well, their body is. But what's gone? Their spirit. He says, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. All right? So the first word is spirit. 
Then go to 143 again, Psalm 143. He says, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. Look at the next line. My heart is appalled within me. Now he's talking about the heart. Hmm. Okay. Oh, and then go down to verse 11. Second line, in your righteousness bring my soul out of trouble. May I make an observation? When he talks about my spirit and my heart and my soul, he's in essence describing the same thing. Sinclair Ferguson, great theologian, has done a little book on, uh, called The Heart for God, and he answers some basic questions. Number one, what is the heart? The heart is the central core and drive of my life intellectually. Therefore, it involves my mind. When the Bible talks about heart, it involves the mind, it involves the soul, it involves the emotions, it involves the will. It's Valentine's Day, and we see these little hearts, you know, in the little romantic thing. That's not what the Bible means by heart. It's talking about you. It's talking about the guts of you. It's talking about the essence. Heart, soul, mind. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. The essence, when, when, when we check for a heartbeat, they're gone, what's gone? The mind is gone, the will is gone, the spirit is gone, the soul is gone. All those things encompass the heart. Uh, number two, is my heart healthy? No, by nature I have a diseased heart. From birth my heart is deformed and antagonistic to God. We're born physically alive but spiritually dead, Ephesians chapter 2, 1. We have no interest in God. Question three, can my diseased heart be healed? Yes, God in his grace can give me a new heart to love him and a desire to serve him. I think it's Jeremiah 31 where it talks about the new covenant, and I will put a new heart within them. When Christ, when we are regenerated by the Spirit of God and we, and we understand the gospel and we see the fact that we are sinners and we have no hope of being saved by our good works, well, I hope at the end of my life, you know, the good and the bad go into the balance and then it comes out, no, hey, you know what, you're, you're, you're toast, man. And so am I. You're toast from the moment you're born. Because God wants 100% perfection. Only Jesus was perfect. So he came down. He laid aside his privileges, took on flesh, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, went to the cross in my place and in your place, died for us. The wrath of God's judgment was not put on us. It was put on Jesus. And when you believe in him, that he is your sin bearer, you are born again. Jesus said in uh, John 3 to Matthew, you must be born again. So you get a new heart. That's the only way you get a new heart, the only way you get eternal life, the only way you get forgiveness of sins. Question uh, four, how does God do this? I just explained that roughly. Question five, does this mean I will never sin again? You will sin again. You'll continue to struggle with sin your whole life. Why? Because sin, st sin still lives within you. You say, and there's a struggle. And you're growing, and you're learning, you're learning to starve sin. Before we come to Christ, we feed sin. We just feed whatever we want. But now we're starving sin. We're putting uh, the Word of God into our minds. Let him who steals, steal no longer. You see, you go through all those verses in Ephesians. What happens when the Spirit of God enters our lives? So we're in a process of maturing and developing, and it's not microwave, and it doesn't happen in three minutes. You'll struggle with it your whole life. What four things does God counsel me to do so that my heart might be kept for him? First, I must guard my heart. 
as if everything depended on it. Second, I must keep my heart healthy by proper diet, growing regularly strong in a diet of God's word. You cannot grow spiritually without the word of God. You can't do it. Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Thy word I have hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. You've got to have a diet of the word of God. You have to. Some guys, uh, some guys in here are anorexic. Usually we think of women fighting anorexia. Anorexia is a terrible thing. Young girls usually, they'll think they're not pretty, they don't like how they look, and they'll starve themselves, and tragic things can happen. There's such a thing as spiritual anorexia. You know what spiritual anorexia is? You believe the Word of God, and you believe in Jesus, but you never feed on the Word of God. If you're not going to feed on the Word of God, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to malnourish yourself. Now, there's another danger in the Christian life, and you know what that is? That's being a spiritual bulimic. And once again, bulimia is something that primarily happens to young women because, because guys don't give a crud. We're going to eat and we don't care. And you can, when you're young, you work out all the time and you think I can eat anything I want. And anyway, but a lot of gals are bulimics. What does that mean? They'll eat and then what do they do? They go find a bathroom and they throw it up. And so their body never gets the nutrients. It's possible to be a hearer of the word and not a do it. See, you can hear the word and not apply it to your life. That's a bulimic. Third, I must take regular spiritual exercise to take care of my heart. What does that mean? That means you assemble with believers. That means you interact with believers. Don't uh, forsake the assembling of yourselves together. This is the habit of some. That's why you're in a church that teaches the word of God, holds up Jesus, the Savior and Lord, and the only way to God. Fourth, I must give myself to prayer. You need to be praying about four or five hours a day in your closet. I do that. How many of you guys do that every day? That's what I thought. I don't do that. But sometimes you read biographies about great Christians. I remember reading the biography about praying Hyde. He'd pray four or five hours a day, and he would come out, and he thought 15 minutes had gone by. That never happens to me. You ever just try to get alone with the Lord and you read your Bible and you start praying? You know what happens to me when I do that? I'm praying, I'm praying for one of my kids, and then all of a sudden... Now, how much did that guy say it would cost to replace that condenser in the air conditioner? <laughs> how much was that? Where the heck am I going to... Because we already spent the money on the retaining wall, and then... Uh, oh, wait a minute, I'm praying. Has that ever happened to you? All the time. (laughs) What do you think God thinks about that? I think he's okay with it. You know why? Because you're his kid. You're just dust. But he loves you and he's for you and he knows your heart. He's not on your case. And, and honestly, you know what I do? I'll go, Lord, you know, I'm sorry. I got off there. Where was I? And I get out my iPhone and I say, Siri, where was I? (laughs) 
But you just want, as you're going through your day, just kind of have it on the back burner. Just be checking it. Just keep that channel open. You know? Just keep it open. Some of you guys have a dedicated fax line. That's what prayer is. It's there. Is it? You can just hit it any time. That's prayer. That's just prayer. If you're in a situation and all of a sudden you're in a meeting and you don't know what's going on, there's pressure on you, you all you need to do is just breathe the word wisdom. Don't even say it. Just say, wisdom, Lord. Just in your head, wisdom. He reads your thoughts. He knows, what he knows everything you're saying with that one word. He knows it. He gets you. See, that takes pressure off, doesn't it? Because you see what God's doing and all this stuff? He's just looking at your heart. How many pages you read today in the New Testament? Did you read your 48 chapters? Well, I got 46 done. Get out of here. Does God do that? No. He knows your heart. This I know, Psalm 56, 9, that God is for me. He's for me. Okay. Now, we've been talking the last few weeks. When we're dealing with all this stuff, we tend to forget that he's for us. We tend to forget that he loves us. We tend to forget that nothing can separate us and that we'll never be condemned. Yeah, but Steve, I made this huge mistake I shouldn't have made. And, oh, man, I should have known better, but I went, well, join the club. Join the club. See? So what I have to do when I start feeling condemned, I've got to go back and read Romans 8. I've got to be reminded that I'm only justified, but I'm adopted, and that he loves me, and that he pursues me, and that he won't throw me out of his family. You know what cracks me up about uh, this Psalm 142 and 143 stuff? You know what cracks me up about David getting overwhelmed in his spirit? David wrote scripture. David was the guy who wrote the Lord's Prayer. How can the guy who was used to write the Lord's Prayer, how can he get overwhelmed? Because he's human. Now, when he is writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, every word he writes is the word of God. But in his experience, he still had to work this stuff out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who is at work within you, both the will and the work for his good pleasure. We're learning to work this stuff out. Yeah, I know this principle, and you know, oh man, I knew that, and I shouldn't have made that decision. Well, you made it. Okay, guess what? This time, learn from it. Isn't that what you do with your kids? The first time you tell them don't do that, they go, okay, Dad. Okay, good. Is that how it works at your house? In your dreams. Doesn't work that way. It didn't work with you when you were a kid. Most of, I've had guys come up to me and go, well, Steve, I had to learn the hard way. I don't know any guy in the world that didn't have to learn the hard way. Do you? We all learn the hard way. Trial and error. You get beat up, you do stupid things, you, you get the crud kicked out of you, and finally, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm 84 years old. I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. <laughs> or hopefully, you know, that happened to me a couple, I, I, you know, I, I, okay. See, the, you want to start learning the stuff. You want to start learning it. But if it happens, David said it was good for me that I was afflicted because now I keep thy law. Okay. You guys know the Lord's Prayer? Uh, you, you, you know Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He restores my soul. Uh, oh, I missed. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy ride and my staff, they comfort me. Thou hast prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now I'm blanking. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David Pallison is a biblical counselor and he's a great theologian. He has written the, the, what he calls the anti-Psalm 23. Now I'm going to read this to you. I really like this. And the reason I'm going to read it to you is because when our spirits get overwhelmed within us, what happens is we forget that David was used by God to write Psalm 23, but you see, he forgot Psalm 23. When our spirits get overwhelmed within us, we forget See, so much of the Christian life is thinking, and so much of the Christian life is remembering what's true. Here's the anti-Psalm 23. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointment, uh, disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's, it's a desert. I'm thirsty. My, my soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix it myself. I stumble down all these dark paths. But still I insist. I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. But life's so confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm, uh, I'm haunted by emptiness and futility. Uh, Shadows of death. I feel the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no comfort. I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really my friends? It seems like other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me except me. And I'm so much all about me that sometimes... It's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever, homeless, free-falling into the void? Sartre said, hell is other people. I have to add, hell is also myself. It's a living death. And then I die. That's a hell of a way to live. Literally. Don't send me emails on that. You know what I mean, don't you? That's hellish. That's a hellish way to live your life. And you know what happens to us when we get overwhelmed? That's what we start thinking. I'm on my own. No, you're not. This is what happened today. My spirit is overwhelmed. No, you're not, David. No, no, you forgot. Forgot what? The Lord is your shepherd. 
Is it not true that we forget? If you remember with Asaph, A-S-A-P-H, Asaph wrote some of the Psalms. Flip over real quick to Psalm 77. I want to show you something. When, when David talks about my spirit being overwhelmed within me, I want you to catch what he, this Asaph guy in Psalm 77. Because what Asaph does, Asaph, Asaph was responsible for the, he was one of the Levites and in charge of worship and singing. And he wrote great lyrics to some of the Psalms. And he had the ability to describe what was going on in his life and heart, just as David did. And he is able in Psalm 77 to describe what happens when our spirit or when our hearts, uh, when our souls get overwhelmed and we get appalled and we just get, and we get crushed. Look at uh, Psalm 77, verse 2. He's calling out to God in verse 1. He says, In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. In the night my hand was stretched out without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. Has this ever happened to you? you? It's like you've reached out for God. You're absolutely overwhelmed, but you can't find him. I'm so grateful this guy, this guy described this. My hand was stretched out with weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. When I remember God, I'm disturbed. Yeah, but he shouldn't, he shouldn't say that. We never said that at First Baptist. We never said that down at United Methodist, whatever. We never said that at, yeah, but we should, because sometimes that's how we feel. Have you not ever felt that way? See, what happens is, sometimes you're so overwhelmed, and you've got so much stuff going on in your life, and you can't figure out where God is, and you feel abandoned, and you feel like God has forgotten you, and you've tried to follow him, but you don't know why he's not coming through for you. And so when you remember God, what happens? You get disturbed, and it raises all kinds of questions about his goodness. If you have not experienced that, you're not being honest. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. Do you ever sigh? Are you a sire? A sigh is sort of a pressure valve. <sighs> Never happened to you? I sighed last night. I got up at 4.30 yesterday to catch this flight to Chicago to meet with these publishers, and it was nonstop. Had good meetings, you know, had to get to the airport, get on the plane, wait for the plane, you know. And, man, I was exhausted. I slept about two hours, got to... Uh, Got on the plane, you know, trying to keep my eyes open, reading. We finally come in. Uh, we're coming at 827. That's good because I parked at 833. And then we pull and I get my stuff. And there are, we've changed gates. We're at C10. Yeah. I didn't sigh then. I did something else. But then I had to get on the tram and find, you know, 833. And, then, and so I come out to the escalator and I'm standing there and I just missed the train. And I sit there and this is what I did. went, And this guy behind me, I didn't know was there, said, weren't you on that 6.15 flight this morning? And I said, yeah. He goes, me too. And I said, why don't we sigh together? <laughs> I didn't say that, but there was, we had an immediate uh, connection because we were both exhausted. But I, but I just got to, I missed that. I just, Sometimes we just sigh. There's nothing else to do. It's, it just, it's the best. It's, it relieves a little pressure. When, my, when I sigh, my spirit grows faint. Watch this. You've held my eyelids open. You know what that means? He can't sleep. He's overwhelmed, and he's a Christian, and he knows Christ. 
Sometimes you know Christ, you know the Word of God, you know the truth, but what's happened before you went to bed, that one straw was put on your back. And it's just one straw too many and you can't sleep. You have held my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Keep your finger there and go left to Job. You say, man, don't go to Job. I don't want that happening to me. (laughs) Well, that probably won't happen to you, but you're going to have some stuff happen. And God was there for Job, and Job got through it by God's grace. And Job was sort of the guy, he's the go-to guy on suffering. We don't all suffer at that level. You're going to have some suffering. You have some suffering. We can learn things from Job's experience. Listen, if God can get Job through, he can get you through. That's what ought to encourage you. In Job 23, he says in verse 1, Job replied, because he's overwhelmed. That's my point. Sometimes our hearts get overwhelmed. He says, even today my complaint is rebellion. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. Watch this. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Find who? God. That I might come to a seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. He's just like the guy in Psalm 77. I wish I could tell God what's going on and ask him, where the heck are you? Because I'm dying here. I need some help. I need some assistance. I need you to come through for me and you haven't come through. Once again, have you ever felt that way? Yeah, you have. It helps me to know that Job felt that way. Well, uh, look at verse 8. Look at his utter confusion. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I can't perceive him. And when he acts on the left, I can't behold him. He turns on the right. I cannot see him. See, that's how he's feeling. That's how he's feeling. But watch what Job does. See, he's getting all worked up. He's getting all frustrated. He's getting overwhelmed. Watch what Job does. Watch this. Watch how he puts the brake on. Watch what he does. Verse 10. But he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. In other words, you know what? This just isn't random circumstance. There's a purpose to this. That first verse we looked at in Psalm 142, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, watch this, you knew my path. So what is it that leveled Job here? And even what is it that helped level David when they were overwhelmed? The fact that God was sovereign and in control of the situation, even though they didn't feel him, even though they didn't sense him. Even though their eyelids were open. See, what what undergirds you is that you know he is there and that he will be faithful even if you don't have a sense. This is where you're walking by faith instead of sight. Go back to Psalm 77, if you would. Verse 7. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never be fair? You see, he's asking himself questions. He's down. He's down. He's overwhelmed. And once again, this is what you find in Psalm 42. You have to talk to yourself instead of listen to yourself. He's trying to pull himself out of it. 
he starts asking himself questions. It's just like Matthew 6, where Jesus started asking questions. He says, will the Lord reject forever? I feel like I've been rejected. Will he reject forever? What's the answer to that? No, he won't. Okay, it feels like he will, but he won't. Will he never be favorable again? He will be favorable again. Has his loving kindness ceased forever? No, it hasn't. See, he's, he's, he's trying to put the brake on going down that path. You guys see how, you following this? You got to work at this a little bit. You got to stop. If you're, if suddenly your, your, your car is going out of control down a mountain road, not up but down, they have the ridge route between LA and Bakersfield. They used to have a lot of tractor trailers, horrible crashes. And you go over that, what they call the ridge route, and then all of a sudden, it'll say trucker escape quarter of a mile. And I remember as a kid seeing those tractor trailers, my dad was going the speed limit and they were going past us and there's sparks coming off their brakes. And they burned out their brakes because there were so many passes and anyway, treacherous road. And everybody get out of the way so that truck could get over the right lane and take that trucker escape. And what it was, it was just, they just built this big ramp up the side of the hill. I mean, it was, it was like you was going up a ski jump, and it's heavy, heavy sand that would stop those suckers. See, that's what you have to do when you get overwhelmed. You got to put on the brakes by asking yourself some questions about what you know to be true about God. Jump down to 11. Uh, guys, here's what I want to say to you. I'm almost out there. I know this is heavy. This isn't lightweight stuff. But this is real life stuff. Hey, we're men, and we're dealing with stuff, and we're in spiritual warfare, and we got to have our sword sharp. In, in Proverbs 4, you don't even have to turn there. Just trust me. In Proverbs 4, Proverbs 4, it says, Guard your heart, for from it flows the wellsprings of life. You gotta, and remember, heart includes mind. You gotta watch your thinking. You gotta watch what you're thinking about God. You see? Because when, when it seems like He's not there and you're not seeing answers to prayer, you're just trying to hold on and not totally get overwhelmed and lose heart. And so, so what do you have to do? You have to put right stuff and right thinking into your mind to pull out of that downward spiral. That's how you, and this is what I was doing this afternoon, Jim, because I had a straw. I just did. I had a straw, and then I got another straw, and then I got another straw, and you know what? I started to lose heart. And I caught myself after about 10 minutes. I said, okay, here we go. And I had to start fighting it. And I had to just take a step back. Okay, now wait a minute. Let's get this in perspective. Let's get this in perspective. And by the way, I thought, oh, you know what? I'm teaching on this tonight. So I started working through some of this. I just started asking myself some of these questions. You know, I remember I said, faith's a refusal to panic. What has changed? What has changed? Really, what has changed? What has changed in my life? I got an email and I got a call. Okay, let's put that in perspective. Did God know about the evil? Did God know about the call? People involved? Is God sovereign? Does he run them? Does he own them? Are they going to do what he says, even if they're in rebellion to him? Yes. Okay, then what the heck am I sweating here? Because he has a plan for my life. 
when my spirit was overwhelmed, you knew my path and everybody in my path, and they are going to cooperate with your plan, even if they don't know you. Like Cyrus did when you said, you're going to help my people rebuild Jerusalem, and you're going to do this for them, and you're going to give them favor. And he told the guy that 150 years before the sucker was born. Oh, and God says, even though you don't know me. Oh, and guess what Cyrus did? Exactly what God said. So what the heck am I sweating? Where am I going to be in 100 years? Dead. That's where I'm going to be. Oh, in body. Unless Jesus... Anyway, I don't have time to get into all the eschatological aspects of this. Can I just say this? My body will be in the ground unless Christ has returned and raised us all up. But to be absent from the body is to be what? Did God give me life? Did God give you life? Does God know the plan for your life and the extent of your days, even to the exact minute? What's the answer to that? Yes? Then it's his job to keep you alive and protect you and steer you. It is appointed for a man once to die and then comes judgment. He's going he's gonna to oversee your life and walk you through it until your dying moment. And when you die, it's promotion. So what the heck am I sweating with an email and a phone call? That's what I was dealing with for two hours. And then you know what happened? I got, I got the level ground under me. I said, okay. Went in, poured some Jack Daniels. <laughs> you ever put Bluebell, uh, Homestyle Vanilla, and Jack Daniels? <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I've been feeling good ever since. <laughs> you know what he does in Psalm 77? You know how he ends it in verses 16 to 20? And I'm done. You know how he does it? He says, I'm going to remember what you've done. I'm going to remember who you are. And he goes all the way back to the Red Sea. The greatest crisis in the life of Israel, where there was no escape and no options. There's a sea in front of them. There's mountains on both sides and Pharaoh's army. And they've just gotten out of 400 years of slavery. And they're about to go back in. And there's no way out. And they were overwhelmed. And what did God do? He made a way where there was no way. When their spirit was overwhelmed, he knew their path and he knew what the, he was going to do. And, he, and, and in your life and in my life, he knows. You say, well, does that mean he's going to deliver me tonight? Not necessarily. You may be in this a while. I may be in my stuff for a while. Yeah, but I don't want to be in it. Well, you might be, but if you're in it for a while, he will give you the grace to sustain you while you go through it. And then at the right time, not your time, but at the right time, he will deliver you. You say, well, Steve, it was my own dumb stuff. It was my own dumb decisions. Oh, we'll join the club. Most of it is our own dumb stuff. But you know what? I'm 62 years old, and I've learned something. God's good to dumb guys. <laughs> if you'll admit you're dumb. And that you've screwed up. He's got your back. Oh, he's got your front. He's got both sides. You're good. Keep your heart good. Let's pray. We're encouraged, Father, by these men in your word who were honest about their struggles. They didn't live pain-free lives. We don't either. There are guys in here that are in some tough stuff.
But you sustained David, you sustained Asaph, you made a way for Job, you will make a way for us. You are the same God. And you are our Father. And we come to you. And you will in no wise cast us out. We believe that. It calms our hearts and our spirits. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.